2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. I want to preach to you on the subject of evangelism today. Evangelism. Um, we began last week a sermon series that I've entitled Restart. And I want us to think about some certain spiritual disciplines, uh, values that we have a, has, have a, as a church have to emphasize or prioritize because sadly... Uh, we get into the busyness of our lives, and like we mentioned last week, prayerlessness takes root, uh, and, it, and as we mentioned, it's the worst sin, uh, because it's the sin that lies behind sin, so much temptation uh, that we are susceptible to, so much powerlessness in our preaching, and the effectiveness in evangelism is drained when we fail to bring God into uh, those uh, uh, spheres or areas because of a lack of prayer. And I think the second subject today, evangelism, is equally important. In fact, if you can kind of think of last week's sermon and this week's sermon as 1A and 1B, they go hand in hand. Praying and preaching or praying and the proclamation of the gospel are vital to individual Christians as we grow in our walk with the Lord and corporately as a church. Uh, that if you're to, I'll tell you this, if you're to take out prayer and evangelism, out of the church, you have forfeited your right to be a church. Okay? So I want to deal with these two spiritual disciplines at the beginning of the year in hopes of prioritizing them in your mind. The first thing that I want to give you is just a definition for evangelism. A definition. You'll see this there in your uh, insert and in your Bible app. And I'll repeat this twice so that you have it. But evangelism is teaching the gospel. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Okay? A couple of aspects about that definition. One, we're going to discuss, we're going to spend the chunk of our time talking about what is the gospel. Right? You can't teach what you don't know. So I'm going to give you the essential elements of the gospel. But here's the other thing. The reason I like J. Max Stiles' definition of evangelism is also that part at the end with the aim to persuade. Uh, and, and the part that I like about it is this. Evangelism does have to come from a passionate heart. You can't sell something to somebody that you yourself haven't bought. You got me? If, if the gospel hasn't changed your life, and you don't think that it will actually change the lives of those around you, then all you're really doing is you're just a talking head. Evangelism has much more than just spitting out a couple of lines. And I totally believe that the, that the Holy Spirit, that God is the one responsible for regeneration. We'll talk about that on Sunday nights as we go through the doctrine of salvation. But if you go and look through Acts where we see the history of the church, you'll see the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers try to persuade people. Okay? So this is not just this dry, dead talk. I want you to understand, every time we preach and proclaim the gospel or you converse about the gospel, this is a matter of life and death, and it deserves all of your energy. Okay? Let me tell you what evangelism is not. And please, I'm, I'm not saying not to do this. I just simply don't want you to confuse it. Evangelism is not just inviting someone to church. Okay? 
is it wrong to invite someone to church? No. In fact, if you live in the South, which we apparently all are, if you invite somebody to church very quickly, it kind of opens the door for spiritual things. But I don't want you to think that if you've just invited someone to church, that equals or is synonymous with teaching someone the gospel with the aim to persuade. Here's another thing that it is and it's not. Aaron's going to be talking about this this Sunday night and next Sunday morning. There's a difference between promoting the gospel, what you're going to hear us say, promoting the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel. We promote the gospel with our lives through love, through prayer, through generosity, through hospitality. But there's a, there is a, a trend among evangelicals, as you'll see this, where we're only concerned with social issues and we never get to the actual proclamation of the gospel. And I'm not saying that it's either or. What we're going to hear from us, it's both and. It is, we want to feed those who are hungry. We want to give relief to the poor. But if that's all there is, I want you to know this. We have fallen short of evangelism. Why? Because evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. So we need to be promoting the gospel and simultaneously proclaiming, articulating, verbalizing the gospel. And I'll let you know now, in our culture, we are no longer on home field advantage. Most people don't know any of the terms that you're going to have to explain to them when we talk about the gospel. They probably don't know what the gospel is. And with gentleness and respect, you're probably sitting here going, what's the gospel? Okay, so if Christians in church kind of go, I don't know the essential elements of the gospel, we can say for sure that those unbelievers on the outside have no clue. But I also want you to know this. I do believe it is possible because of God's sovereign initiative that he can have you cross paths accidentally bump into somebody which is in fact a divine appointment and you can share the gospel with someone you have never met in your life and they can come to saving faith in Christ. I want you to understand, yes, it's not maybe the normative most people hear the gospel in the context of the church, in the context of a relationship with another Christian. But I don't want you to ever underestimate the power of the gospel to change somebody's life in an instant. And I'll tell you right now, I'd rather have you going up and sharing with people you don't know than not sharing at all. Evangelism is a personal discipline. It will take work. We're going to see that here in a moment in the text. It may cause hardship. It may cause suffering. It may cause persecution. It may cause insults being hurled your, hurled your way. It's not easy. I don't want to paint this beautific vision of evangelism that if we'll just go out there and just say something, well, everybody will just come to Christ. No, you've entered into spiritual warfare. It's not going to be easy. So I want you to know that up front. And I'll let you know as your pastor, I understand it starts with me. I want to set the example. And just so you know, in case you don't know this, is it awkward for Josh Taylor to go up to somebody he doesn't know and share the gospel? Absolutely. I am much more comfortable in here proclaiming the gospel to you than I am walking across a restaurant and talking to somebody. My heart races. My mind races. I get a little sweaty. <laughs> 
And here's what I want you to know at the end of the day, though. Every single one of us, no matter how bad or awkward that process, God has called us to be faithful in the task of evangelism. Now, what's happening in the text today? Let me give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul, the great evangelist, the great teacher of the gospel, the great persuader of these truths, he experienced frequent imprisonments, floggings, and exposure to death. Five times he was whipped with 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. And three times he was shipwrecked. Sound like evangelism is an easy thing? No. So what kept him evangelizing? What kept him saying, it's worth putting my life on the line. It's worth every awkward conversation. It's worth every insult. Listen to what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. And he's talking about him and the apostles. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. Now don't over-spiritualize what the apostle is saying. He literally means that being given over to death, he means that physically. We are putting ourselves in harm's way. We risk our lives at times to make sure for Jesus' sake people know about his life, death, and resurrection. That they know about the gospel. So we'll continue to put ourselves out there no matter the hardship. And here he begins to explain his rationale and his motivation. Look at what it says here. And since we have the same spirit of faith, in keeping with what is written. He's saying the same thing that was written of old in the Old Testament in the Psalms. It's, the tr- it's true of us too. He says this, I believed, therefore I spoke. I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Can I give you the takeaway truth? Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Can I give you the takeaway truth? And this is ultimately why we don't evangelize with gentleness and respect. Put this down. I believed, therefore I speak. I believed, therefore I speak. Ladies and gentlemen, and this is where it gets to a heart issue before we talk about kind of the content and the craft of evangelism. What must move us, what must compel us to go and tell our lost friends, families, neighbors, and associates is that we sincerely believe that Christ died for our sins and having repented of our sins and trusted in Christ alone for salvation and because God raised Jesus from the dead that we will be raised to everlasting life too. And if you don't really believe that in the depths of your heart, you won't risk it all to go and share the gospel. 
It ultimately does come as a matter of the heart and a matter of belief. I am persuaded. I believe that Christ died for me, that he is the only way to salvation, the only way to a relationship with God. And because I am thoroughly convinced of that, not just in my mind, but in my heart, I lean on it fully and trusting. I've come to the fact I've got to tell others about it. And so I desperately, as we go through this gospel, I want to give you some things to say. What's the essence of the gospel? But as we go through these elements of the gospel, I want you to examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Do you really believe these things? Because I'm confident if you don't believe them deeply, you won't go and share them. Here's one of the things that uh, probably the greatest fear concerning evangelism I get as a pastor from congregation is most people, most Christians, I think, genuinely desire to lead at least one person to the Lord before they die. I think that's the heart. I mean, like, I've never led, like, if someone's saying, I've never led someone to the Lord, like, actually got to be there and see the harvest come to fruition. I just want to see it happen in my lifetime. And here's generally what follows on the back of it, is I just don't know what to say. I believe, therefore I speak, and it's kind of like, but what? I want you to at least know this, and I'm not saying we should be haphazard in our evangelism, that it doesn't matter what you say, I do think it does matter, but can I give you this, and write this down, it's in your notes, silence is the real stumbling block. Silence is the real stumbling block, because if you've come to faith, If you've come to genuine saving faith in Jesus, you've heard the gospel at least once. You've heard the content of the gospel. And I think many times, whether it's the devil or our sinful flesh, we create or imagine scenarios that quite frankly just aren't true. That the Spirit of God is there with us, and as long as we're equipped with the Word of God, we will share the truth. I think what he would rather have you do is just be afraid and sit in silence. That's what the devil wants. So let's just for a minute put aside the argument, I don't know what to say, because as long as you're paralyzed like that, the devil is winning. Okay? So let's, we're going to have to learn some things and take some risk in order for people to hear the gospel. Here's what I want to equip you with. This is not the only way to present the gospel. There's only one gospel. But we can convey that gospel through various methods and means. The biggest thing is that you have a method and you use it. Okay? What I've provided for you, you have probably saw it in the foyer, okay, on the tables. There's this little track, okay, that you'll see, and it says, Becoming a Christian. I really appreciate this track because I like the scriptures that are in it. I think it really summarizes the gospel very succinctly, okay? It simplifies without oversimplifying, without losing the essence of the gospel. What I want to do with you is I want to walk you through that track right here in this service. And my challenge to you, I'll go ahead and tell you up front so you can be preparing yourself as we go through this. My challenge to you is when we leave this place, after we pray and we have our altar call, you go out, you pick up one of those tracks. There's 200 of them, so there's plenty. If you want to grab two, maybe just wait till the night and find out. But everybody grab one of them and just make it your personal mission this year to say, I'm not ending 2019 without going through this track with somebody. Okay? I don't mean handing it off and running. Got me? Like, I'll leave a really good tip, they'll read it. No, I know that. I know all the tactics. 
I'm actually saying whether you build a relationship with somebody or it's a friend or a family member, some of you know you've got people primed right now. The only thing you haven't shared with them is the gospel. Then go home and get on the phone. Okay? I just want to encourage you. You say, Josh, just one. Just one. Sadly, because of the way Southern Baptist statistics work, if we all just did one, if we all shared our faith one time in 2019, we'd break all kinds of records. It's sad, but it's true. So I'm letting you have it now. I'm challenging you now at the beginning of the year. You got 51, 50 weeks left, (laughs) depending on how my math works. I want to encourage you to take this challenge and go do it. Here's the first thing that you'll see in that track, and I think it's the first part, really, when we talk about the uh, the gospel. Number one, write this down, admit that you have sinned. Admit that you have sinned. I'll go ahead and let you know right now, if your gospel proclamation, you articulating and verbalizing the gospel, does not bring up the subject of sin, you haven't shared the gospel. Okay? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to say that's an essence. That's a part of the core of the gospel. You've got to talk about sin. And let me tell you right now, our culture, it should be apparent, doesn't know what sin is. So it may take some time. You may think, here's the point. Some people, you may be able to go through this in five, ten minutes. This, may, this point alone may take days or weeks to someone to get. And it's not because they're dumb. Please, it's not because of that. They're ignorant. You catch it? They've never been taught the gospel. Okay, so a couple of verses that are known to help define sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The point that we want to stress in this verse is that every single one of us has done this thing. (laughs) Whatever it is, we've all participated in it. All right? And then look at what 1 John 1.8 says. If we say we have no sin, oh, I've never sinned, or there's not such a thing as sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He says, you've lied to yourself. Okay? All of us have sinned. And then here we get to kind of an idea of what sin means. I like how John says it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In the Greek, you don't have to tell him this. It's none whatsoever. None, none at all. Two double, like double negatives. Here's the whole idea. We we define sin as lawlessness or missing the mark. The question when we talk about sin is what mark are we missing? What's the target? The target is God himself. You said that? God is light. He is perfect. Full knowledge, full love, full life. And there is not an iota, not a speck of sin against his character. Because what you and I like to do, we like to do comparative righteousness. Well, I'm better than Joe, or Joe's better than me. That's not the standard that God set. For all have sinned and fallen short of whose glory? His glory. And if you have to use an illustration, I kind of like this illustration. Just imagine that you and I, sitting here, we're deciding, me and Tony decided, we're going to take a rock from standing here on this stage and try to throw it to the North Pole. Now, if I'm lucky, I'll make it past this first pew. Tony's probably going to do better than me. (laughs) But here's the point. No matter how far he and I throw that rock, do we ever reach the North Pole? No. And that's exactly what what it's like comparing our lives with one another. You may do better than the next guy, or or this girl may do better than you, but when it comes to comparing ourselves to the holiness and the perfection of God, we've all missed what he expects from us. 
All of us have fallen short of that. So what's the consequence of it? Look at what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. Titus 3.5, and we're going to get this more. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Do you see the word that keeps recurring? Works, works, works. If you came here at Mount Carmel and we gave you a job, and at the end of the week we cut you a $50 paycheck, that $50 are your works for your wages. It's what you've earned. So he says if you add up all the things that you've done, with your life, what you'll find is every single one of us deserves the wage of death. And in the Bible, if you notice how they're compared in Romans, this is not just physical death, but it it is contrasted with eternal life. This is eternal separation from our Creator. That our sin has caused a barrier between us and God. So what are we supposed to do? This should leave us, and if you notice this, the gospel, which is called the good news, the very first part of the gospel is bad news. It leaves us in a helpless estate, saying we've sinned, we've been cut off from God. What are we supposed to do? Point number two, write this down. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you from your sins. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you from your sins. If I had to boil that down even more, just like in point one, if you don't stress the subject of sin, you've not dealt with evangelism. Number two is this, Jesus Christ. You're going to have to say his name. Don't be ashamed. He is the only one who has dealt with our sin problem. Okay, And we've got to introduce people to who Jesus is. Now, why is Jesus so special? And this is a part that rages against the culture. Why is it that we try to make much of Jesus and to the exclusion of everyone else? Let's look at these verses. Acts 4.12 says this, And there is salvation or forgiveness of sins in no one else. For there is no other, other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Notice the stress there. God has only given us one person that we can go to for salvation. And that person is who? Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 3.18. This begins to explain what he did, how he procured or obtained salvation for us. It says, For Christ, Jesus, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So notice what happens here. Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Chosen One, he comes to this earth and lives a righteous life. He actually lives his life It lined up to the word of God, lined up to the glory of God. He did not fall short of the glorious standard of God. And here's what he did in a great great act of grace, mercy, and love, is instead of holding that righteousness to himself and saying, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. What did he do? He went to the cross and he said, my righteousness, you can have it as a free gift and I'll take all of your unrighteousness. And he bore it on the cross and he suffered and died. He took the penalty, what we deserve because of our sin. He took it upon himself and gave us what we didn't deserve. Righteousness with God and a reconciled, restored relationship with him. Look at what it says. This is to me the core gospel. 
If you, if you only had one verse to memorize, remember 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, emphasizing the physicality of it. And then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If you don't tell that story about Jesus, that he died for our sins, was buried and raised, you've not shared the gospel. Okay? That's the core right there. And so what's the implications? What's the significance of that? Romans 6, 9, death no longer has dominion over him. See, when Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, it pleased God the Father and God through the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. This is important because a lot of Christians don't even understand the significance of the resurrection. If Jesus died on the cross and was not raised, he's just like everybody else. But if he was raised, and he was, and there's many good reasons to believe it, that he's the only person who can offer forgiveness of sins. That's why we have to talk about someone believing. Hey, to believe that Jesus of Nazareth existed and walked this land, that's good history. I've shared this with you before. But to believe that he died on the cross for your sins and was raised for your forgiveness and to make you right with God, that is salvation. Two different things. Look at what it says in Acts 10.43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Don't you love the simplicity of the gospel? Jesus has done it everything. So he's saying, believe in me. Trust in me. Rely fully on me. In John 5.24, John even makes it more simple. Whoever, this is Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, he's talking about God, that God sent me, has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Passed from death to life. Transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Bam. Can I give you an illustration? Can we, can we just say something like this, and, and I hope you... Don't you hate cancer? Amen. We hate cancer. Think of this illustration. I think this is appropriate. Sin is worse than cancer. In fact, we can say this. If you go back to the garden, sin is the cause of cancer. We get to the source of it. If I were to come up to you and say, here's what I want to do. If I was able to do this, I want to take all the cancerous cells in your body and I want to put them into mine and I want to take all the healthy cells. And I'm not the paragon of health, but you get the point. Got me? And I'm going to give them to you. What would happen to me? I'd die. But what would happen to you? You'd live. That's what Jesus has done on the cross with sin. Do you understand that? Hey, if I take all the sin that you've ever committed and I took them in my body and I gave you my righteousness, what would happen to me? Well, I'd die. But what would happen to you? You'd live. And that act of sacrifice, God looked at it and go, let's raise him from the dead. (laughs) He's the savior of mankind. Number three, number three, And this doesn't use the word, but it explains the word I want to make sure we get to. Number three, turn from your sins and invite Christ into your life. Turn from your sins and invite Christ into your life. Here's the two things. So we talked about this. The very first thing, if we don't bring up what, we haven't talked about the gospel. Sin. If we haven't brought up who, what have we not talked about? Jesus Christ. The third thing is the only saving response to sin and Jesus' dying for sin and being raised for is this, repentance and faith. 
Repentance and faith. Now, repentance is what this word in the track is trying to explain. Turning from sin. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't sit there, say a prayer, raise our hand, come to the altar with no intention to actually go out and change our lives. Repentance is the proof that we've actually acknowledged our sin. Sin's a problem. Do you understand that? So we have to talk about repentance, turning from sin, that from this moment on, I'm a new creation. I have the newness of Christ, and I'm going to walk different. I'm going to live different than I did before. And it also means this invitation to a new life in Christ lived out by faith. That every day, and here's why we talk about this, salvation is a process. Yes, there is a moment in which it begins. I sincerely believe it. But we're not, God's not finished yet. Do you get that? He's not finished. He's still working on every single one of us. So we turn from our sins and we trust Christ and we invite Christ into our life or he invites us, however you want to use the terminology, but a relationship that that has begun and will never end. So we have to call people to repentance and faith. We've got to tell them to turn from their sins and trust Christ only. Look at these verses, Acts 3.19. Repent therefore. And turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Notice this. Do sins get blotted out without repentance? No. Look at what it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess, that means to say the same thing. If we say the same thing about ourselves and sin that God says about ourselves and sin, notice what happens. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. And then Romans 10, 9, this is the verse that led me to faith in Christ. So I'm, I'm more, uh, I like it. <laughs> okay. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You see what's happened? Because here's, I've always thought, why is it that it's believing the resurrection being so important? Because think about this, guys. If you believe that Jesus was raised, everything else is underneath it. If, if Jesus was raised, you're really a sinner. If Jesus was raised, he really died for sins. If Jesus was raised, it means God accepted his payment for your penalty. That when it comes down to the crux, the core of Christianity, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, that the foundation of all the doctrines rests on the resurrection. If you pull the resurrection out, he says what? Fold up church, we're all liars. But if Christ has been raised, we're not still in our sin and our faith is not in vain and our proclamation is not in vain. We are preaching the very truth of God, not the invention of men. So we have to ask people, invite people to turn from their sins and believe Jesus is their Lord, their supreme leader and commander. He's going to set the agenda for their life because God raised them from the dead. What's next? Number four, what's next? Here's the thing. Say you, you, you're able to share all of that with somebody. Can I give you just a couple of pointers? This is not necessarily in the scripture per se. It's just through experience. Ask them if what you've been sharing makes sense. I don't want somebody to come to faith not knowing what they've come to. <laughs> There is a content, there's some parts of the gospel that do have to be acknowledged. It's not just the mind, but it does have to engage the mind. So just ask them, does it make sense? And if not, if they go, I don't have a clue, two things, patiently teach them. 
Just stay patient. Hey, that person may not come to faith in that moment. It may be several more conversations. That's okay. Do you understand? You've won just by virtue of proclaiming the gospel. That's all that he's asked us to be faithful with. He's responsible for what happens below the surface. We've got to make sure it gets to the ear in a persuasive way. If they say yes, ask them. Ask them right there. Would you be interested in turning from your sins now and praying to Christ? I, I, I really will tell you this. This is why the aim to persuade is important. If you have no intention of actually reeling it in, then don't even talk. Okay? I think it's appropriate every now and then, like, I want you to think about this, but we do have to call people to decision. Why? Because the gospel deserves a response. The word of God does. What do you think? Are you ready to make this decision now? And if so, and I do this, and I'm going to explain this, ask them if, you would, if they would let you lead them in a prayer. Now, I want to tell you, prayer, if you've noticed all these verses that I've said, does it say, if you'll pray this prayer, you'll be saved? No. It does talk about this. Pray, the, the salvation takes place completely in the heart. When somebody gets saved, and it's not after they say the prayer, it happened probably way before that. We just didn't see it. But the way that we begin to acknowledge, there's two things we acknowledge, and you'll hear me say it here. Privately, we can confess our sins to God. Now, He knows our sins. He knows the moment we turn from them, our intention turned from them, and we trusted Christ. And in that moment, we're saved. But one of the things I think it's been helpful is just to share a prayer with somebody that they can pray to God in the sense of verbalizing what's on their heart. If it's not in the heart, all those words didn't matter anyways. I sincerely believe that. And then what we do want to do is how we make that decision public, how we go out loud, is what? Baptism. That's our confession before the church and the world that we've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life. But I want to encourage you, I gave you a prayer there. Yeah, just pray. And if they want to pray on their own, have them pray in their own words. I'm just saying some people, just like this, they remember this? Heaven forbid, the disciples came to Jesus last week and said, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't think there's anything wrong. He says, well, you can pray like this. That's all we're doing. If there's any precedent in it, that's it. Going, well, it's like this. And that's all I'm trying to introduce people to. Okay? So where do you and I begin right now? What happens right now? I gave you a list of scriptures. That's kind of your other homework for the week. I knew I wasn't going to have time for that. Aren't you glad I knew that in advance? And I didn't try to cut that in. But can I just tell you about these verses? Especially that one right there in Acts. Jesus tells him as he's ascending, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will make you a witness. And here's what's unique. Those guys, those disciples, along with the other 120 disciples, men and women, went back to the church in Jerusalem. And you know what they started doing before the Holy Spirit came? They prayed. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and then God answered their prayer, filled them with the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and they preached the gospel. Acts 4.29 
They prayed for the boldness to preach the gospel. Ephesians and Colossians, Paul asked the church to pray that an open door would occur so that they could preach and proclaim the mystery of the gospel with boldness. I love 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 says this, pray that the word of God would spread rapidly and with power. Remember what I talked about at the very beginning? Hey, if you leave prayer out of it, you left God out of it. And so even we need God going before us in the work of evangelism. Because ultimately this happens in the heart. And we are his instruments and agents to carry out the mission of proclaiming the gospel. So where do we begin right now? We begin on our knees. We pray for the individual in advance that we're going to get the opportunity to this time to share that gospel track with. We get to pray for our friends and our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our associates, because it begins there. I like what Ian Bounds said. It is a great thing to talk to men for God, but it's a greater thing to talk to God for men. A greater thing. That if we can't talk to, talk to God about these individuals, you'll never walk across that restaurant and talk to them. 